Hey, I'm Gina. My name is Russ. I love this area. I love the Morongo Basin. Specifically, I love Wonder Valley. That's how we discovered this area 18 years ago. So I felt this when we first discovered Wonder Valley, I felt this like calling from Wonder Valley, like to protect this land. Anyways, we're here now and we have this development in front of us. So that call to action is bubbling up in me, (laughs) but yeah. from needles the desert protection podcast with your hosts chris clark and alicia pike let me just for a moment pretend that i don't know everybody you've talked to for this episode and just in the service of listener comprehension ask you gina and russ they sound really interesting who are they gina and russ Cohn are residents of 29 palms And they own several properties in Wonder Valley. And they are part of the Stop Wonder In group that I was introduced to by attending a community meeting a few weeks ago. And they were part of the presentation. Could you set the scene to our listeners who maybe have never set eyes on Wonder Valley? Could you describe it to us? It's a very expansive place, different from any other area, I believe, in my opinion, in the Morongo Basin, dotted with these interesting shacks in different states of disrepair as a kind of charm to it. The mountains are just spectacular. It's almost womb-like being in Wonder Valley. For me, I feel really rooted there. You feel like you're in the sky. The dramatic weather that kind of rolls through the clouds, Sometimes you feel like you can reach up and touch them or the thunderstorms that roll in during the monsoon seasons are just spectacular to watch. And even the creatures that appear like the desert tortoises that we've been able to see walk in front of us, large adult tortoises, little baby hatchlings we've seen. It's thriving with wildlife and it's really beautiful to get to witness that. But yeah, it's just this beautiful, expansive space that really makes you feel insignificant. <laughs> but it's it just is a kind of spiritual place, too, I think, for a lot of people. What I first noticed when I started coming out was, yeah, the spans, the quiet, the views are beautiful. I love being in the valley. I have a great view of the mountains all around. I worked in construction for my career, and I have tinnitus, and my ears have been racked with noise for my life for various things. And just the peace and the quiet on Wonder Valley, the first thing that hit me when we started going out there. And then, of course, the clouds and the sky and the dark sky and the Milky Way you can see every night. And it's just serene and quiet. It's opposite of what the city is. And it is pulling. It brought us both out. We love Wonder Valley. It's different than the other places in the Morongo Basin. They all have their charm, but uh, yeah, we're here because of Wonder Valley. That's why we live here full time now. I know we're going to get into this in some of the interviews that you have here. Can you give us a two or three sentence description of what Wonder Inn is? What are we looking at? The Wonder Inn is a proposed resort development that is entirely out of scale with the place that they are proposing building it. Does it cater to the local crowd or are they looking for more affluent visitors? It's for a higher end crowd. The rooms are about 500 a night, clearly for people who have money to spend. Okay, so let's go back to Gina and Russ then. What is happening lately in Wonder Valley that is causing a stir? There's there's a pink building that's in eye shot of uh, our cabin and many other people. It's a known place in Wonder Valley, you drive down Amboy Road and you come across the pink building. There are these pyramids attached to it, a geodesic dome, and it's been empty for years. We didn't know the people who made the pyramids were there and we were did that one since we've been going out there, but everyone knows the pink building in Wonder Valley. And now we heard about a developer wanting to build a project on it. And then all of a sudden, we were, last year, we heard it was a go that they're gonna start building this thing. The person who caught it, 
Were they actively looking through submittals to the county? Yeah, that was Rick. Yeah, he's pretty much the heart, I think, of this, and he was on top of it. Yeah, he's been on top of because we've heard rumors. First, there was going to be a spa just for the pink building. There's always rumors of someone building something out there. But yeah, Rick discovered that they put a lot of money and effort and time to try to get one. They started working on this. So that's what he started this at the right time. And he's that activism that's been seeded in Wonder Valley even before we were there. Who is this Rick person? Rick Hamburg is a longtime Wonder Valley resident. He's been coming out here for over 20 years, lives out here full-time now. Rick is a member of this Stop Wonder In group that Russ and Gina are working together with. True desert lover. The pink building used to be Southern California Edison headquarters back in 1980 and before is a mile and a half from where I live. And so when I drive down the road to Amboy Road, which the pink building is on, to go into town, I and some of my neighbors noticed that there were some markers being put up, some white, I think, PVC tube markers around there. And I was curious as to what was going on because I think I had already known that there had been some kind of application to do something there, but it was back of mind. But that spurred me to go on to the county's land use services permit site. And I was able to identify the parcel that the pink building is on. And I saw that a conditional use permit to rezone a large acreage that surrounds the pink building was made to the county. In the winter of 2020, and it had very few details, but it did show that the proposal was to rezone this area from rural living to commercial and to build a 106-room hotel, the Wonder Inn, with a restaurant, wellness center, meeting rooms, and all of that. So from there, Googling for Wonder Inn, I was able to find a project description, site plans, and other information. And from that, I was curious enough and started doing a little bit more research on this. That culminated with me giving a presentation to some people at the Wonder Valley Community Center, I believe in March of 2021. I gave a a presentation of what I knew just to raise a little bit of awareness and concern because even then, it was quite concerning and disturbing to me that a hotel resort would be built in Wonder Valley, which has nothing of the like. The only other real business out here is the Palms Bar. And that's very low-key and very much appreciated by the community. But it's not a uh, hotel with cars coming in and out and all the attendant ado that would accompany it. At that meeting, the presentation I made in March was I met a lot of people. I met neighbors that are very close by here who are in proximity to this pink building and others who I never knew. And they were concerned about it. From there, this group of people, and we call it the Stop Wonder In Project Working Group, met on a regular basis to try and organize our thoughts try and create other awareness. I worked to put up a website, stopwonderin.org, which documented what we knew, gave tools for people to send their comments into us, but also comments into the assigned planner at Land Use Services and copying the planning commissioner for the third district to Don Ryle, the supervisor for this district. And throughout that, we got really good response of sending those comments in. On January 13th of this year, we saw what was published by Land Use Services as what is called the initial study of the project. It's about 100 pages long, and it's accompanied by about a 900-page appendix of consultant studies and 
the in the judgment of land use services after looking at the developer's application, consultants' studies, they deemed that all of the factors that are required to be considered in the California Environmental Quality Act, CEQA, posed no environmental impact that couldn't be mitigated by actions that the developers would take. That's called a mitigated negative declaration. There are about 25 categories within CEQA, traffic, environmental, public services, water, on and on. You can see all the details on our website. And January 13th, these study documents were made public and it gave us a 21-day period to comment. So the study was prepared by the developer and the consultants and within land use services for over a year. And we had 21 days to respond. We were too happy about that. That doesn't seem fair now, does it? You get a year and we get 21 days. It is what it is, but we also decided that we would try and take some action on it. We talked to various people. We looked at the CEQA guidelines. We found out that we could apply for an extension. And we did get an extension for our response until February 22nd, which was more than 21 days, not as much as we would like, but at least we have a deadline. And our working group has been working very hard over the past three weeks or so to organize our group, divide these environmental factors in CEQA to various people, and to do in-depth research on what mitigations that land use services is proposing and where we think it can be responded to. And so we've been working hard. We are finding many areas where we think that assumptions made by land use services and the developers are incorrect, have holes in them, or just flat out wrong. We want the county to require the developers to go through an environmental impact report. EIR, which is a process that will delve into all of these factors where we have concerns and certainly take more time before the project is approved or perhaps denied, which frankly is our hope. We're back in the studio. So Rick talks about two dozen layers of CEQA that that law is concerned with evaluating for projects. What are some of the issues? Did, did Were you able to find out things that people in, in this campaign are concerned about? Certainly an outstanding issue is the desert tortoise population that is existing on and around the proposed development area. At that community meeting was a lovely lady named Pat Flanagan, who had a lot to say about tortoise and tortoise surveys. And uh, we should check out what she has to say. Okay, let's listen to her. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Pat. I have a degree in biology from Long Beach State, which I went back to later in life to get. And then I went and worked for a while in the Anzaborrego Desert. I was the first uniformed person in their fully new visitor center. Then for many years, I was the education coordinator for the Tijuana River National Estuarine Research Reserve, which is down in Imperial Beach, and it's just on the border with Mexico. Imperial Beach has an extremely active citizenry. Hmm. And when you could go to a city council meeting, you could be there till 10 or 11 with people standing up and making substantive comments. And then for a few years, I was at the San Diego Natural History Museum, which is the same situation. When I moved out here, I moved here for several reasons. I had family here and I could become active with the local city council. I could go, I could learn about things and go and talk. It would be easy. I didn't have to drive for hours to get there. Mm. And I was around when they were redoing their general plan and I was on the citizens advisory committee for that. So that's where I learned about the California Environmental Quality Act and how it works and what you do and the benefits of these kinds of things, which it was like going to school, and I wish they had school like this for people because it would help sure would. a lot. 
So that's my background. I've been on the board of the Morongo Basin Conservation Association for, I would guess, 19 years. And I've been active as, in a number of projects. The first meeting out here that was held by the developer in the community center, I am positive he thought there'd be 15 people there and they'd all be kind of drooling. And that wasn't the case. Mm. They, they didn't like the project and they were vocal about that. What I understood then when I listened to them, they kept wanting information from the developer, but the developer has no requirement to give them information. His requirement is to do some studies and give it to the land use services to do the initial study first. And then Eric Hamburg got the Stop Wonder in website up in a blink. So that's where people can go to be informed. Now we want to get voices for the initial study and everybody doesn't need to write a letter every day, they can write one letter within the time frame because every single letter has to be addressed by the planner. Oof. But you don't want to have him go crazy because he has to find all of your letters around. So you send one letter with all your points and then ultimately he will put that all together before he submits it to a planning commission. So this is a great example of a very small step in the process where your voice really counts and it goes on the record. It goes on the record. The reason for CEQA is that your voice needs to be heard and that those who make decisions aren't doing it behind closed doors. And so there's NEPA for the feds and there's CEQA for the state. Every entity that's in California who's doing plans has to either say that there will be no adverse effects, which is that mitigated negative declaration, or you have to do an environmental impact report. They have said that this mitigated negative declaration will be fine, and they'll give the initial study with the responses to the planning commission who will say this is dandy and then pass it on to the board of supervisors. It's not going to be that easy because there's a lot of problems with this, like traffic. For instance, in the traffic study, they talk about all this where people are going to Joshua Tree National Park, etc. No mention is made that this is a major pathway between the largest Marine Corps base in the world and Las Vegas. Or that trucks go there all the time. They don't mention that. The river crowd. Exactly. River. That's not mentioned. That's a throughway. They also don't mention, and this is key for people who live there, you're on a sand transport path, which is, means that you're on a linear, a land dune. No surprise, you look at the base of the sheep holes and you've got these sand ramps going up. That's been happening since the end of the Ice Age. So if people, if I'm staying at Wonder Inn and I want to go up to Joshua Tree National Park, the easiest way is to get on Gamel. That's a dirt road. And because I travel from elsewhere, I don't know anything about the speed limit. The speed limit is please keep the dust down. And so there'll be a number of people raising dust. And that'll be their easiest access to get up to Highway 62 to then go into the park. We don't mention that. Yeah. We just, please, that gets in our way. It will have unique adventure tours, ATV and hot air balloons. What do people do when they get on an all-terrain vehicle? They drive fast. You get on that ATV, which they give you or rent to you from Wonder Inn, and then you're free to do whatever you want. Frightening. It's very frightening. It's frightening. <laughs> very frightening. So I don't know how that works into spiritual wellness experiences when you're driving a community of people nuts. That whole area of Wonder Valley, if you drive through it, it's totally obvious that you have sand everywhere. It's stabilized because there's plants on it. There's those creosote, which are all tied together underground with the mycorrhizal fungi, which is sequestering carbon when there's rain, but it's stored deep in the caliche, which everybody probably complains about, but that's mm. Ice Age carbon that's been stored. But at the end of the Ice Ages, all of these valleys that were between the many mountain ranges, the lakes that were in there dried up. And when they dried up and the wind blows from the west, it blew the dust out. So that's how you get these. Anybody who lives here knows that the wind can blow 
And if it's not blowing in a place where it's been disturbed, like on a dirt road, etc., um, it's quiet. From where I sit here and I look out at the marine base, if I can't see the marine base, what I know is the wind is blowing the dust down from Lucerne Valley. And I've actually seen this. It makes a left-hand turn in front of the marine base because of the way the mountains are. Oh, wow. If I can't see my own yard, it's coming from the west. And it was particularly bad for the first bunch of years that the solar plants were there because the ground was unstable and it just blew this way. When they scrape the ground there to do this, that, and the other thing, it's going to blow. Yeah. Do they care that people live out there no. and that have to breathe this and have a high cardiovascular problem out there? Right now, we're concerned with the dark sky because dark skies are disappearing at a very huge rate because of the way people treat light, and it's dark out here. No matter what they say, that place is going to glow yeah. because otherwise people are going to be in danger of tripping and falling and they not get to the right car and they won't be able to turn their lights on when they want to read at night in this very special place. So you have these experiences where you have weddings and you have concerts. They talk about music and sound baths, yoga. Let me see. Live music around fire features. Oh, really? And then we know that the water is infiltrated with things like chromium-6. That's one aquifer for the entire valley, so it's all the same water. And people who live out there have to deal with that. It's chromium-6, yeah. and that's something you have to take care of. And it's naturally occurring when there's arsenic and there's other things. The rocks in the desert can be full of these chemicals, and then the water is just sitting down there in the rocks, just leaching it out. What can you do. What we know for sure is the federally endangered and state endangered desert tortoise is there. They said it wasn't. They sent a man out to do the surveys for not only the desert tortoise, but birds and plants and insects and all of that on 134 acres. And he did it in a day. And then he didn't find anything. So I called up Ed LaRue of Circle Mountain Biological Consultants because I know that Ed has done work all over the place and he will give and has given all of his data when there's developments so that you can see if there's tortoise. He's more concerned about the tortoise than anything. He's had 33 years of experience. Wow. So I called up Ed and I said, Ed, have you done any tortoise surveys in Wonder Valley? Guess what? He'd done a tortoise survey for the exact site. <laughs> right. And evidently, and somebody never saw it because it was not filed. And the person that went out there to do the tours for the ELMT, did I get it right? Found nothing, absolutely nothing. In one year apart. And one year apart. In fact, Edelru not only found tortoise, he took a picture of a live tortoise. He took a picture of shell that of a tortoise that had died a couple years ago. He found scat. He found all that stuff. And he did a map of what it was. And he told you how he did it. He told you how many hours they spent. He did everything the way you're supposed to do under the protocol of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. There were two of them out there. They walk the area 10 feet apart. And they do. None of that was done by the consultant for the owner. They just said they didn't see anything. What that tells you is that they didn't look very deeply. Development like this in the desert is a real hot button issue right now because all sorts of different projects are coming out across the Morongo Basin. And it is definitely clear that the desert is a place people want to develop right now, almost as if we're running out of land or something. And I think that new attention needs to be paid to where we're developing. And totally, it may just be the citizen's responsibility to educate these outsiders who come here and say, oh, we want to build this sustainable eco resort as though it's such a wonderful thing. When in fact, you're going to be eliminating 30 acres of 30,000 year old old growth desert. That's part of that land is already disturbed. It had the jojoba farm and something, but a, a good portion of that 134 acres is creosote. The deserts of California, the three of them, the Sonoran, Colorado, the Mojave, and the Great Basin are 28% of the state, and they have 38% of the native plants. 
And we have way fewer invasive species than other parts of California. Mm. So we are actually a biodiversity hotspot. And the way to preserve that biodiversity is just leave it alone. Just to take a break for a minute from the sort of litany of all the things that are wrong with this project. It'd be great to revisit what's worth protecting and worth celebrating about this place. The homesteading history out here is definitely a prominent part of the culture of 29 Palms. And I wanted to highlight that. I, I reached out to my dear friend, Lisa Moncure. She's owned property out in Wonder Valley for at least 20 years or so. And I know she's a keen lover of the desert. She has this beautiful voice. So I thought she'd be wonderful to express the homespun sentiment that the homesteading culture really brings. I asked her to read from Sand in My Shoe, which she graciously did. And I hope you enjoy her reading, evoking the spirit of the past. Here's Lisa Monk here reading from Helen Bagley's Sand in My Shoe. Excerpts from Sand in My Shoe by 1920s pioneer Helen Bagley. This region has been Indian country, prospected and mined, used as open range for cattle. Then came the homesteaders. They used to have a saying, Uncle Sam bet you 160 acres of sand that you can't live on it for three years without starving to death. In early years, few who filed remained to make a home. After the war in the 20s, there was an increase in homesteading. Frank and I came in 1927. We estimated that there were 50 to 100 such settlers from Yucca Valley to the Dale Mining Region. Many of these were veterans of World War I, and some had been sent here by Dr. James B. Lucky. He knew this generation of veterans, for he was one of them. Many were disabled by asthma, TB, or had lungs burned by mustard gas. He traveled the deserts to find a climate that would help them. He wanted about 2,000 feet elevation, pure water, warm and sunny air. He found them here. Dr. Lucky began to tell his patients, go out to 29 Palms and file on a homestead. When we came here, we drove over a winding road, worn and rutted by the wagons that had carried supplies to the mines. There was not one mile of straight road. There was no group of buildings that could be called a village, no post office, store, or school. But there came a core of homesteaders who wanted homes on land they owned and a background of sound community life. Most were poor, but they worked together. They shared they shared water. They nursed and helped each other in trouble. Shared, too, the joys, had fun in the homespun ways. They rejoiced in the challenge of frontier living, in wilderness, in wide spaces, and the stars. Were you able to get out on site and look for some tortoises? I did. I went out there with Luke Basolto of the National Parks Conservation Association. I've heard of that. Yeah. He joined me and we walked around the area near the proposed project for a little impromptu tortoise survey for at least an hour, just shooting the breeze and looking over the creosote bush. We just thought we'd walk around and see what we could see. And how did that go? I was elated that we found two burrows that were very clearly used in the last year, he estimated. And then we found scat that correlated with that. And anytime I find rare scat, I've seen me stop and pick apart kit fox poop, analyzing it. And the same thing happened with Luke out on there. That hike was- It's one of the reasons we're friends. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I found Kit Fox poop with Luke and just to make sure I was cutting it open and to find tortoise poop. That's a stop. Stop in your tracks. Let's stop. W- which direction was he going? What, how, let's, how firm is it? How old is it? It's an exciting thing to <laughs> analyze the left, the leave behinds of animal presence. So for me, it was like, oh man, there's definitely tortoise out here. This is great. But Luke didn't have the same degree of comfort. He really wanted to find a tortoise. Hey all, this is Luke from Saving Slowpoke and the impromptu field representative for 90 Miles from Needles. Today I am out on the access road that sort of borders the proposed Wonder Inn. Alicia and I were out here a couple days ago walking the road and looking for tortoises and walking the boundary and just sort of seeing what we could find and we found some pretty promising tortoise sign and I wasn't totally satisfied with <laughs> with what we found and today is a, a really nice day it's I think it's about 65 degrees the area just got a little bit of rain not a whole lot not enough to wet the ground or anything but enough to maybe spike the humidity a little bit briefly <laughs> so I'm out here today walking the road again and I'm gonna see if there's anybody poking their head out of a burrow hopefully there is but uh, we'll see. The reason I came back is because this habitat is just so nice. <laughs> After walking through here today there's, and seeing the sign that we saw, I'm pretty confident that there's got to be tortoises here. Obviously there's tortoises here. There's sign for tortoises here. But yeah, just couldn't let this one go. So here I am talking to myself, walking down a dirt road on a very nice late winter day. <laughs> Can't really call this spring yet, but I might flip over a couple of these boards on the roadside, see if there's anybody home. But uh, yeah, we'll see. There's some lizards running around. It's a good sign. Just saw a little side blotch lizard run under a board. Boards in the desert tend to be a sort of a form of refuge for many small critters here. The same concept as a an artificial reef in an ocean with not a whole lot of cover. A big shady board turns into a, a refugia for small animals and occasionally small tortoises. So I'm gonna be looking for those today to flip this board over. Anybody home? Oh. Nobody home. Nope. Okay. I don't wanna be trespassing, <laughs> so I'm gonna focus on looking around the boundaries. No one really pays attention to the boundaries, but they are important because these tortoises can potentially wander onto the property. They're likely to wander onto the property. They, they move around, they like to forage and look for new places to eat, new things to eat. And that's what I'm doing. Just looking around the edge of the property and giving it a good buffer, but hoping to find tortoises out here. It's lots of tracks from different things. Things are definitely moving around, yeah. And I'm wandering through some big galleta grass. It's big, beautiful grass, and it makes good tortoise chow. I'm making sure look into all these little holes. Some of the footprints from yesterday. So following the same path, let's see. I will head away from this path and head this way now meandering in and out of this big galleta grass clumps. It's a good sign that water flows through these areas with the grass. So makes sense that a tortoise would want to set up its burrow close to this grass. Oh, it's a lizard. There's more footprints. I wonder if those are Alicia's. This way. Alright. Oh! No fucking way. <laughs> oh my god. It's a tortoise. It's a baby tortoise. Oh shit. Okay. Okay, how do I say this? I don't say shit. Oh, look at you, dude. <laughs> oh my god. No way. Okay, so I'm just walking through the big Galleta here, and I walked past the creosote, and I thought I saw something at the base of the creosote. And it turns out it was something. Turns out it was a little baby tortoise poking itself out of a hole that looks like it. Um, it's commandeering as its burrow. This is super cool. I gotta take pictures. Okay, okay, take pictures.
just, I don't want to, okay, sorry, I don't want to get too close to you, buddy. I'll get too close to you. But I gotta get close so I can get a picture of you. Oh, he's moving. He's moving. Let me get a video. Let me get a video. No, I know, buddy. I don't want to scare you. I'm on the west side of the road, opposite the proposed development. I'm sitting here with what looks to be last year's baby Mojave Desert tortoise. And I'm taking photos of them. And I'm hoping that these come out. I'm trying to get decent photos. Show how big he is. Oh man, this is, you're so small. Where'd you come from? Okay, finding this tortoise is really cool because it, it means that tortoises are reproducing in this area, which is amazing. And tortoises have a very low survival rate. So this guy may very well be the last member of his clutch from the fall. It looks like he was, he's about the size it looks like he would have been born maybe early last fall. He's still very small. He doesn't have any kind of growth rings or any kind of signs of growth on his shell. He's only about the size of a ping pong ball. This is very important and it's blowing my mind that there's a baby tortoise in front of me. This is the first tortoise I've seen this year and it's really close to the road. This is probably, I don't know, 50 feet from the road that I was walking down. So he's real close to the road. He's just, it looks like he came out to get some heat and some sun out of his little hole here. Yeah, baby tortoises like this, at this size, they don't take very long to heat up. So today being in the low to mid 60s, is still plenty warm for a baby tortoise to, to get up to an operating temperature. For larger tortoises, it takes a lot longer for them to heat up. So you don't see those guys usually until spring when you know things are consistently warm. But for a baby like this, any warm, semi-warm day, today's kind of a, it's a nice day, they'll take advantage and they'll come out and poke around and see if there's any fresh new little forbs popping up. And it's not happening here yet, it's real dry. But I don't know, hopefully some something pops up for this little guy. I'm gonna mark his burrow. It's not really a burrow. Babies like this, as they wander, they'll find holes to take shelter in and stay there until they're big enough to dig their own hole or maybe they'll turn this hole into a burrow one day, but it's perfectly located where a desert tortoise burrow should be, which is right at the base of a creosote bush. It's close to this little wash, but it's it doesn't look like it's ever been flooded, which is good. He chose good. Yeah, he just it looks like he just started coming out too. He's like on his way out. I can see the roof of the pink building. This is not far from the property of the of the proposed development. Buddy, you got <laughs> you got a ways to go. <laughs> oh man. I feel bad for you. Okay. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I just want to sit here with him for a second. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just sitting here with this guy, watching him explore the mouth of his burrow. He doesn't seem to mind me much. He's probably never seen a human before in his life. Hopefully never does see another human again. But that seems very unlikely given his proximity to this road and the amount of interest in this area for development. I know that the proposed inn is potentially going to be renting off-highway vehicles to, to some of its patrons, which is sad because that just means that inexperienced people will be likely trying to cruise up and down little washes, like the wash that this tortoise chose to make his life next to, and not really know what the repercussions of their actions are. I hope that this doesn't he never, I hope he never encounters another person or a motorcycle. God, he's so cool. I am so damn happy that I found this little guy. I'm also really sad that I found this little guy because I know that his odds of making it to adulthood are very slim. The species faces a lot of really, he's chewing on something. <laughs> so awesome. The species faces a lot of adversity and its threats, raven predation, human caused developments like this and loss of habitat because of them. He had disease and I'm not getting close to him for that exact reason. He's really tiny and yeah. I wanna sit here until you go back into your hole, dude. It's so, seeing this tortoise here is at this size, it's so scary. I just had a daughter and it's like watching a, a newborn wandering around by itself. 
I don't want to leave. <laughs> but I know I gotta leave. <laughs> I'm not gonna interrupt him more than I should. You're so close to the road, bud. Damn. Okay. Alright, little dude. Good luck, and I wish you the best. Why do you think a project like this would be a dangerous precedent to set for development in the Morongo Basin? Oh, gee, so many other things that are going on in the Morongo Basin, other projects like the Flamingo 640 Glamping Project. And there's been a lot of changes in Joshua Tree area. Joshua Tree has developed this cachet as a hip place for people to come from the city. And there's a lot of stuff, a lot of development, and I can't comment on all of them. Certainly the Morongo Basin Conservation Association is aware and working on a lot of those. But just as far as Wonder Valley goes, if you were to drive into Wonder Valley from 29 Bombs and just turn east on Amboy Road, there's not a stop sign or any type of traffic signal for all of the miles from 29 Palms all the way over the Sheephole Pass to Amboy. What would happen if this resort is built? And even the conservative and we think inaccurate traffic projections that will be incurred by the 106 rooms not to mention any other special events, weddings, music events that will take place there. What will happen to the traffic on Amboy Road, which now is just quiet? And yeah, there's accidents sometimes, people speeding, things like that. But it will create a focal point for the type of disruptive activity that doesn't exist in Wonder Valley, the peaceful nature of it, not to mention the light that will be shed by this resort, not to mention the noise. You know how noise travels in the desert. It travels a long way. You don't even know where it's coming from. Half a mile is close. Yeah. And uh, oh, a steel night, forget about it. We can hear you whispering. That's that's right. <laughs> so just the fact that it is so unlike anything else that is out here, it's disturbing. And for it to be in place will change my experience and my neighbor's experience and the experience of people who just love the desert and come out here from all over the world and appreciate the peace and quiet. So that would be disruptive, and I really do think that if it is approved and if it is built, it will set a precedent out here for more development. We know that the owners of the land on this development have bought other parcels nearby, which they are not specifying in their conditional use permit proposal. The conditional use permit only specifies about 25 acres around the pink building that they had previously purchased another about 130 acres to the south. You think they don't have any plans to expand their resort or other types of activities there? We think that's highly unlikely that they have no plans, but it's not included in their proposal. So we question that as well. And we question certainly the precedent that would be set by putting this resort into place and in operation, contrary to what Wonder Valley is and what people generally don't want here. I think it's important to clarify here that the project developer's proposal insinuates there is no need for an environmental impact report at all. Is that correct? I think that's safe to assume. They would like to have this approved as it is. Now, the process for approval is that Land Use Services has issued the study and the mitigated negative declaration. We have the right 
public has a right to submit their comments. Land use services digest them and must present them in their final report to the planning commission. But there also is a process, as I understand it, that as our public comments are absorbed, the developer will have some chance, opportunity to provide input to land use services. Ultimately, land use services produces a staff report with their recommendation. Then there will be a meeting of the planning commission scheduled where the public will be allowed to comment and the planning commission, five members of each of the supervisory districts will vote on the proposal and whether or not they accept report, they accept the report and the project goes through, or maybe they can indicate that an environmental impact report needs to be done. In any case, ultimately, after the planning commission weighs in on it, it then goes before the full board of supervisors for the same process where the public can make comments in a meeting to be scheduled at some point. And that could be the final step in this. There are multiple waves where we have the opportunity to show up, it sounds. And it is fact that every comment lodged goes on the record and has to be included with the proposal. That's correct. So this is the moment where citizen rise up happens that a lot of people have put a lot of work into because teamwork, I'm just so cheesy for saying this all the time, teamwork really does make the dream work. (laughs) And the efforts of your group has been completely noticed by everyone I've talked to about this project. That's great that we have created some awareness just to plug our website and our efforts. If you go to stopwonderin.org, you can see lots of information on the background of the project, actions that we're taking. You can see a video of the community meeting at the Wonder Valley Community Center where we laid out some of the detailed information that we found about the initial study. It was pretty well attended, but you can see a video of that and get an overview. And we are, since we are in the throes of responding in time for this deadline, we are publishing a lot of information about how you can comment, how you can look at a CEQA study, how you can look at the initial study and all the associated documents. And you can use the form letter that we will be publishing, or you can write your own letter. But on top of that, just to keep up to date with the progress of this, and it's a very quick time frame. although we think there will be more steps along the way please sign up for the mailing list on the front of our webpage. And we promise we won't send you too many emails, but when critical things happen, we do send them out. And they can sign up at stopwonderin.org, right? That's right, Alicia. (laughs) Got to say it as many times as possible. I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful that, that it can be easily seen, that it has to have an EIR. Yeah. And the EIR, if, and we will respond to that as well. Yeah. We'll all be paying attention. We will all be paying attention. That's what we have to do. And that's the fun. Yeah. Pat, in these climate change times, in fighting projects, in development in the desert, and all the storm and stress of change in the world today, what keeps you going? The fact that I can actually do something. Right now, it's all about making money for companies. It's not about climate change and getting people to do things. And basically, I'm an optimistic person. I don't get depressed. I do. I try to find stuff. I go looking hard, and I spend a lot of time trying to find an avenue. Excellent. What keeps you going day to day? What keeps me going is the appreciation of where I live, the relationships that I have with people, and just the beautiful place that I live and how fortunate I am to be here. I love it when people answer with nature.
The rabbit hole of details on a project like this is deep. And as much as I do want to use this episode to show people this is a project going on that you can freely and easily contribute to, I'm really trying to show people how easy it is to become an activist. I feel like we all have our own little goodies in our pocket because I have familiarity with the vacation rental industry. I know how to check the county parcel map to see who owns it, how big it is, when it was sold, how much it's worth and all of that. And everybody's got their little hidden tools and it just comes to you out of curiosity. And that's really something that I wanted to come across in this episode. I didn't really know how to get it across other than talking to those people about how exactly did you figure this out? And it was so easy. It's just noticing a white pole, checking, oh, let's see who bought the property. Oh, let's see if there's a new permit pulled on it since they're installing markers on the property. That must mean something. And I just really loved the simplicity of the activism going on here because it seems like you need a revolution or you need some sort of a professional involved to make a difference. And the Stop Wonder In committee has just banded together and really made a difference already just by pushing the project deadline. And that That was really important to me to convey. And that seems like something that is really applicable to a lot of other, a lot of other campaigns. Just even around here within a 20 mile radius of the Wonder Inn, there are seven or eight different things that could use the same kind of treatment. But thinking about Interstate 11 going in just west of Tucson and the tourism industry in Moab and, uh, you know, water in Salt Lake City. Wait. It can get overwhelming when you hear that, but I want to present it as pick your passion. Pick what's important to you. Is it stuff that's nearby to you? Is it where you live? Is it a place you visited that you're very passionate about and you want to help protect from afar? You know, to get bogged down and overwhelmed by all of the causes can be discouraging. So just knowing that if you chose one, if you chose five, if you do one a month, one a week, like if you just pick a small target and start, you know, you're contributing and it's helping. Yeah. And that's a really good corrective. And what I was intending to say was that wherever you are in the desert, there is likely something that you're thinking about working on or you're thinking about opposing. And these tools work. The laws are different. Sometimes you need to do a little bit of checking to see whether you have the same tools in Utah that you do in California, but the same basic principles can apply. And That's a really great thing. That's a great lesson. Yeah. Also particularly impressed how quickly they put up a website and made creating a comment with all of their most important bullet points already filled out. So you could just literally less than five minutes of your life contribute to a cause. And I'm not trying to diminish the work that can be done. Uh, Self-learning, educating, finding new resources and taking action. Great. But If you're really busy and feeling overwhelmed, just the idea that it's as simple as learning about a project, clicking through, it always feels like clicking through these little petitions doesn't do anything and doesn't mean anything. And in this case, I saw firsthand how 150 comments made all the difference in the world. They stopped a project from going fast track and it's, they've had more time to look at all the holes in the proposal and really encourage an environmental impact report instead of just accepting their fate that, oh, this big developer's coming in. They've got so much money, obviously, with this idea that they have of creating an oasis in the middle of Wonder Valley. We could never win against that defeatist mentality. It's not present at all. There's healthy skepticism, but these people are like, no, we're just going to point out the facts. This is not a good idea. Yep, yep. And that's so empowering. And I just want to share that with everybody, that such a simple act can bring so much comfort and empowerment in your involvement with your community and with your planet. This is just an amazing and inspiring episode. And it is just such a kick-ass maiden voyage for you as podcast episode producer. (laughs) I definitely had a good time doing it. Excellent. Another thing I noticed about this project that really stood out to me was there's this part of the history of this area that the people from 100 years ago were like, no, we're going to settle here. And even though it hasn't worked for a lot of people before and we're facing a lot of adversity and challenges, we're going to make this work and we're going to do it together. And that community spirit, I feel like that just showed up again 
Okay, so if you have a spare few minutes, we need you to submit a comment to San Bernardino County, letting them know that you believe this project warrants further inspection via an environmental impact report before any further action is taken on development. That needs to be done by February 22nd at 4 p.m. So get on your computers and clickety-clack-clack-clack for five minutes. The website you want is stopwondering.org, stopwondering.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making it this far to the episode. And if you haven't noticed, we often slip in little nuggets all the way at the end and end, end of the credits. So listen for sometimes funny things we slip in there and keep your ears perked for whatever's going on in your community or in your heart that you can fight to protect with five minutes and a keyboard. In the meantime, also keep your ear open to social media because we are planning at least one public event coming up this year and possibly some more. We've got a couple of invitations that we need to figure out if we can do them all. Check out our Facebook page at 90 Miles From Needles. Just search that on Facebook. Go to our Instagram. And our website, as always, is 90milesfromneedles.com. I'm still thinking about that camp out. We need to go on that camp out. So if that camp out sounded good to you, let us know. Because we're still trying to figure out when to reschedule our camp out. And thanks again to Wonder Valley Neighbor and my dear friend, Lisa Moncure, for her beautiful rendition of Sand in My Shoe. She will be performing at First World with her band Carnal Circus on March 11th. So get your tickets and go check it out. Links in the show notes. First World is an amazing venue in Joshua Tree near the park entrance. Local acts local everything that is like the most local place to see a show if you want to see a good show and lisa anytime you want to read anything for the podcast let us know or i'll be letting you know thank you (laughs) this episode of 90 miles from needles the desert protection podcast was produced by alicia pike and edited by chris clark Special thanks to Lisa Moncour and Luke Basulto for their contributions, as well as to Rick Hamburg, Gina and Russ Cohn, and Pat Flanagan for their important work. You can reach us at 90milesfromneedles.com at 760-392-1996 or by email by going to our website at 90milesfromneedles.com and clicking on the little slider on the right-hand side of the website. We couldn't do this without you folks. If you go to our website, you'll see ample mechanisms by which you can drop some cash on us if you like what we're doing. Special thanks to our newest Patreon supporter, Carmen Brady. We'll see you next time. Jim Travers had a homestead, a square half mile of land. The desert stretched on every side with greasewood, sage, and sand. Jim Travers had a homestead and not much else beside. But a shack a man has made himself can fill his heart with pride. He had no need of many things. He didn't wear a shirt. 
He hauled water in a can. Clean sand is not like dirt. Boiled beans will fill a belly up with salt pork for a treat. He had rabbit now and then, or turtle for fresh meat. He worked for wages when he could, but neighbors lend a hand and sort of pass themselves around out in this desert land. The air was sparkling clear and clean. The sun was hot at noon. Red sunset blazed across the sky. Came dusk and then the moon. Bare mountains fifty miles away shone white beneath its light. Jim slept beneath the vast round sky. He loved the desert night. The desert's wealth is for the poor, aloneness without bars, aloneness in a friendly land, wide spaces, and the stars. Jim Travers had the sort of wealth that comes where lands are wide. Jim Travers had a homestead and not much else beside. Mm, love that rabbit. <laughs> nope.